Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. With that in mind, I want us to turn to John chapter 1. I'm going to be reading 18 verses. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. And some of us who are joining us here for the first time, we welcome you. And we have been going over this Advent series called The Light of Christmas. And the word Advent, as we talked about, comes from the Latin word Adventus, and that simply means the arrival or the coming. And we're focusing on Jesus. It's a reflective preparation of the arrival and the coming, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. It is also a way for us to prepare for the second coming of Christ because he is ascended into heaven and in any moment he will come in his second return. And so Advent is not only about the birth of Jesus, but it's also about the second coming of Christ. So we prepare ourselves particularly in this season. And that's why as we're doing this series, we're going to be covering four parts. We already covered one. We're going to cover the second part today. We talked about the promise of the light. The theme of the light is what we're going to focus in on. We talked last week about just the promise of the light that has been given to us. So unto us a child is born, and the weight of the government is going to be upon his shoulders. And he is the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. And the Prince of Peace. And as we looked into that passage, giving us encouragement that the promise of this light will change our lives. Today, I want to talk about the presence of the light. And what does that mean when Jesus is present with us, especially as we go through different things and as we face different things in our lives? I wanted to start off and ask this question to all of us. And I think those of us who are older, when I mean older, not just 20-something, but past 50, you will understand this a little bit better. But I'm wondering how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of you in this room have ever decided you're going to do something, but then in that moment as you're about to do it, you forgot why you were doing what you're doing or where you're going, where you're going. Those of us who are shaking our heads are probably older, but some of us are like, but I'm so young. And you have a bad memory, right? I, I don't know how many times I say to myself, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And then as I'm about to go there, I'm like, why am I here? And it really is sometimes a symptom of old age. You know, you start losing that connection, the neurological connections. Sometimes it's just that we're just forgetful. And we need constant reminders in our lives. And because of these lapses in memory, there are so many things that we forget when it comes to who God is and his faithfulness to us. I think one of the funniest things when people forget their memory is when they come out of surgery. I don't know how many of you have seen these videos where they, the husband or the wife, they film or the brother or sister, they film these people who come out of surgery because they're just recovering from anesthesia. And sometimes they say the craziest things. So you got to be careful who's in that room because all your inner thoughts will come forth. But there's one uh, video that was shown because the wife came out of surgery. She couldn't recognize or she did not know who her husband was. So she's talking to this man who's her husband, but she doesn't recognize him. So here he, she is 
saying all this crazy stuff to this man who is her husband. So I want you to watch this video and we'll kind of see what happens as she is coming out of anesthesia. Let's watch this together. You know what happens when you lose your memory? <laughs> Things that are important to you or the people that are important to you, you oftentimes forget. And I think this describes a lot of us because I think many of us in this room, we have spiritual amnesia or spiritual dementia. When you really sit down and think about all that God has done, when you think about the ways in which God has been faithful to you, that car accident, you could have died, but he spared your life. You could have gone to another university or another city and never been a part of community and come to know Jesus. Did you know that? How do I know that for sure? Because some of you have friends who went to the same school, same church, and then they went to a different university. They didn't have a college fellowship, and many of them don't go to church anymore if they even claim to be a Christian. Some of us, whether we move to a new city like Hong Kong, it's very hard to find people that you can connect with. But God somehow led you to people at work or somehow you joined something and you came to know Jesus Christ. Many of us have spiritual amnesia and we forget how Jesus has been so present with us all along. And I think this is the reason why many of us, when we're struggling through final exams or trying to do OT, overtime, in our work, trying to finish off a project at the end of this year, all we think about is ourselves and we forget about the presence of Jesus that's with us. When you're struggling relationally with people, it could be your family members, it could be your roommate, it could be people around you, your boss, your coworkers. It's so easy to forget that Jesus is doing something in your life, even through difficult people, to teach you something, to speak to you about something. Many of you are going to go home during the holidays and you're going to meet family members that you haven't seen for a while. Some of you are going to interact with some of those uncles and aunties and some of these other people in your life that you do not want to interact with. You wish they lived in Alaska somewhere. So they would be like, it's too far. Like, okay, oh, I'm so sorry. We'll see you next time. But you're going to be interacting with some of these people. And the question is, do you really believe in the presence of Jesus in your life that no matter what it is that you're going through, that it can alter not so much your situation, but it can alter your heart and your spiritual eyes. So the way you look at things, the way you feel, even though your feelings might be valid, but because it is a circumstance that you're just dictating, you're focused on, that there's something greater that God is doing, that you have trust that you will not so much rely on your feelings because feelings can fool you. But you know the truth and what the Word of God says. And faith begins to rise up within us. 
That's why I believe when we remember the presence of God, the presence of Jesus in our lives, it can help us to go through a lot of things, no matter what it is that we're facing. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that no matter the life's occurrence, whatever you're facing, we can be assured of God's presence. So no matter what life occurrence that you're facing right now, that the presence of Jesus can transform your life. I'm going to focus on two things in this passage that many of you probably read before. So that if we're going to really believe that no, no matter what life's occurrence happens to us, that we could be assured of God's presence, there are two things that we have to remember. This is the first thing. The first thing is simply this, that we must realize who Jesus is. You won't be able to understand his presence in your life if you don't realize who he is. Let's read verses 1 through 5. This is what the Word of God says. It says, In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we read this first five verses of John chapter 1, there are a few things that we realize about who Jesus is. The first thing is this, that Jesus is the pre-existed one. Everyone say that. Come on. Jesus is the pre-existed one. That he existed before time. John mentions this concept of the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. This word, the word, incorporates both the Jewish as well as the Grecian or the Greek way of understanding who Jesus is. Let me explain a little bit so you understand this. The Greek philosophers would use the term logos or the word, which means reason. So this is how the Greek the Greeks back in the time, this is how they will understand how the world and the universe was formed. Because it was the logos, the, the word that helped us and helped them to understand this. The way it was structured, the way possibly things came about, many of them were philosophers. So they asked some of those difficult questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? And they would understand it through the logos. The Jewish people they understood the word in the Old Testament writings because the word, the word, means simply wisdom or it is the word or the law. So this idea of the word means wisdom or the law that was given to the Jewish people. Now, oftentimes in the Old Testament, the word of God is characterized by doing God's will. So the word of the Lord came, and then you will see the will of God happening. So there's this association that the word is the instrument in which the will of God will be accomplished. How do we know this? Well, you just have to turn to Genesis chapter 1. God spoke the word. He says, let there be light, and there was light. So just from his word we see that things came into existence, that the will of God was being accomplished. This is why Jesus, who is the Word, came to do God's will 
by bringing about God's plan for redemption. So Jesus, the word, was the instrument in which God was using to accomplish the redemptive plan. It's just powerful thought, just thinking about this, not only in the Greek, but also in the Old Testament, this idea of the word or the logos. That's why John the Baptist, or excuse me, John, the Apostle John called Jesus the word. What he's simply saying is that Jesus is the embodiment of all of God's revelation and that he existed before all of creation. So before even the things were created, Jesus pre-existed. We get some proof of this, even the Apostle Paul understood this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. On the bold yellow, I want you to read it with me out loud. Listen to what it says. Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. Let me read it one more time. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things he can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. So that's where we see that he was pre-existing before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So the first thing that we realize that we have to know about who Jesus is, is that he is the pre-existed one. The second thing that I want you to understand about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the provider of life. Not only is he the pre-existent one, but he is the provider of life. In John 4, as we read before, John mentions that this life is available through the word, through Jesus the Logos. He is saying that Jesus is the ultimate source of life. That's why Jesus himself even said in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So what he's saying is that I am the source of life. If you could really understand who I am, the Messiah of this kingdom of God, then you will be able to experience life. He is the resurrection and the life. Now, this light that shines in the darkness, because it talks about the light has come and it shines in the darkness, it says the darkness was not able to overcome it. Now, let me just kind of pause here for a moment so we, we could try to understand what John is trying to say here. If you remember last week, I mentioned about how this promise of the light, this imagery of the light, was used oftentimes to personify or to describe who God is and all things good. That's why there's this idea of light and darkness all throughout Scripture. And so the promise of the light that came, it was a reference to Jesus. And so when it comes to the light, it's referring to God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. While in contrast, we see this idea of darkness, now, darkness in the Bible, oftentimes it is depicted as things like death, ignorance, sin, 
and even separation from God. That's why when you read the New Testament and this idea of light and dark comes about, Paul oftentimes, he uses it in the context of those who know Jesus Christ, who while they were separated from God, Jesus Christ came and bridged the gap. While they were dead in their sin, now they have new life in Christ. This idea of light and darkness. And then he uses this concept of darkness to talk about those who are still living in sin, those who are ignorant of the will of God, those people who have been separated and are separated from the will of God unless they give their lives over. That's why, as I talked about last week, that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That it's a complete transformation from darkness now into light. Now, what I want to focus in on, John, what does he say? He says, the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, this is something you need to understand. This is powerful. The word overcome is translated as apprehend. Now, some of us might have a hard time understanding what that means. So let me translate this in other translations. This idea of apprehension or a Slip my mind for a moment here. This idea of being able to grasp something, apprehend something, it has this idea of understanding. Now, here are some of the different translations. New Living Translation says this, and read the yellow section one. Darkness can never extinguish it. So darkness cannot get rid of the light. In fact, it's the complete opposite. When there's darkness and there is light, instantly darkness flees. The NIV says this, the darkness has what? Not understood it. This is the reason why if some of you are not able to comprehend or understand certain things, in many ways your mind is darkened. So the only way you can understand it is not trying harder or trying to read more or do more research because you could understand it cognitively, but to understand it in your heart, what it takes is a supernatural work of God. And I think there's going to be a lot of applications for this if you understand that this idea of darkness cannot extinguish or can it understand what life is about. The New American Standard Bible says this, and read the yellow section once again. It says, the darkness did not comprehend it. I, I, I want to just encourage us with something as we read this. As we're talking about who Jesus is. Not only the pre-existent one, but we see he's the provider of life. I know some of you have friends, family members, and you're going to see them in a couple weeks. Who do not know Jesus Christ. In fact, what's even more sad is there are people that you know that do know Jesus, but they've been hurt, hurt by the church. There might have been a former leader, or maybe they got into Christianity thinking God's going to bless them with all these things, and maybe their whole life has been spinning out of control. So now they're bitter at God. You're going to interact with these people in a couple weeks. Some of them are your friends that you used to go to high school together, and then you went to all different universities. And now when you go back home, you're going to catch up with some of these people. And you realize that even though they were the youth group president back then, they have no faith whatsoever. In fact, they don't want to even go to church, and they're bitter at God. 
And I share this because it shows that you care. These are people that you love. These are people that mean pretty significant to you. They're significant in your life. But if you somehow get this notion that if I just share about what I learned, or if you get this idea of, oh, if I could just live a good life, I I could show them who Christ is, they're going to come to know Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, you're being foolish. I am not saying that you shouldn't do those things. You should live a good life. You should live like Jesus Christ so people can see that you follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You should talk about what God is doing, that be just declaring the faithfulness of who God is in your life. But what I'm trying to say is this. Some of you in this room have this idea that if you could just say the right things and do the right things, that somehow your dad or your mom, their heart will change. Somehow your friends or your brother or your sister, they're going to they're come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, the flaw of this thinking is that everything is dependent on you. That's why some of you are so frustrated. This is the reason why you don't pray because you don't see results. It's not about you. And what you can do or what you don't do, the beauty of this is that if someone is in darkness, they cannot comprehend, they cannot understand, they're going to try to extinguish things. But the promise is the light has come and darkness will not overcome it. Which means if you understand that you cannot change people, then it will drive you to your knees and turn to the light and say, Jesus, the light of the world, come and shine your light on my dad's heart so he will see his sin and what he has done to the family. God, shine your light to my brother or to my sister who doesn't know you, even though we grew up in the church together. Show them how much you love them. Because maybe they went through some hurt through your family. You should be on your knees crying out to God before you get to home in the next week and a half or so. You should be fasting and asking God, I cannot do this, Lord. Because usually for a day, I'm, good. I'm a good Christian. I try to live for Christ. But after second day, it's game over. We've all been there. Your life group is praying for you, Lord, help him, help her. And you're like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then you go in there on the plane, you're like, yes, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to try to be a good witness. And then one hour, you're cursing each other out. You're like, Lord. And your friends are like, how is it going? Silence. Blue tick. Because you're embarrassed. Can I just propose something different? Instead of you having this mindset that you're going to change anybody because you're not. Why don't you come and ask God and posture yourself to allow the light of Christ to shine. It might not be through you, but it might be through something else. Pray for those divine appointments. Pray for those sovereign things that happen and let God work. There have been many people who testify about this light and have been testifying about this light. We see this all throughout scripture. The major prophets, the minor prophets, they're all prophesying about this light, this Messiah that was to come. And now we see that there's one that testified to this Jesus.
Look at verse 6 through 8 as we continue to talk about who Jesus is. Verses 6, 7, and 8, it says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Can we get verse 9? Or let's just stick with verse 8 here. John the Baptist was a person sent by God on this mission to be a witness for the light. Now, John the Apostle who wrote this book makes it very clear that John the Baptist is not the light. He was just supposed to be a signpost or a pointer to the Messiah, the true light, which is Jesus Christ. It is like when you are in darkness, you need someone to guide you out. You need this light to shine before your path. Ultimately, John the Baptist was that person as he was declaring about the Old Testament. And then he says, there will be one whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. And he says, he is the one. He is the Messiah who is to come into this world. It was John the Baptist who pointed to this Messiah that was to come, who is the light of the world. I don't know how many of you have been hiking. Amen. Some of you guys have been hiking recently. I don't know. So I'm going to go hiking soon um, with some brothers, and we're going we're gonna to climb the hardest mountain, teach about perseverance and great stuff. Maybe not. I might die early, so maybe we'll just do a medium. But some of you know I took this, a sabbatical several years back, and I made it a goal to climb 10 mountains or 10 hikes here in Hong Kong within a short period of time, just one hike a, a week almost. Uh, it was about two months or about seven weeks that I had some time off, so I decided to climb and go on 10 hikes. There was one hike I miscalculated because a lot of it is how quickly you can hike and how quickly you could traverse through these difficult areas. And some are really smooth. You know, I'm talking about the ones that are paved. Those are the best. You can just kind of chill. But there are ones that you have to literally climb. And you have to go over rocks and do all these things. So I went on one of those. It was one of the harder hikes that I went on. And I miscalculated because I realized it took me longer and it started to get dark. Am I the only foolish one here? Come on, can I get a witness? Amen. You, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, I could do this. There's enough sunlight. And all of a sudden, the sun starts slowly disappearing. And instantly in that moment, everything starts getting dark. You, you first blink your eyes because you think like your eye is like losing sight. But you realize it's just the sun. It's going down. And it is pretty scary. Depending on your level of comfortableness, how dark it is, and what kind of noise that are being made. You know, anyway, I'm just making weird noises. But, you know, depending on the noise on that path. And I realized that if we were to go down, or if I was supposed to go down this hike after climbing it, then we have to go down. But I realized in darkness, I would not be able to do it. If I were to do it, it would be very slow. You, you see what I'm saying? It, you would have to go really slow so you won't sprain your ankle because of all the, just the uneven path on this hike. 
So what do you do? You pull out something called the phone. Because there's a little button there that says flashlight. And the amazing part is, as soon as you shine it in front of you, what happens? Things get illuminated. Now, this is where you got to be smart. Because if you put out the brightest, your battery will go down. And you might still be up there with no flashlight, no nothing, and you're in trouble. And so, one of the things I realized is that even a small little light from the phone, in darkness, it can help illuminate your path. Not, maybe not very far, but just enough so that you can see and to move. So here's John, the apostle, who says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Logos. He was the pre-existent one. He created all things before they even came into existence. And what he did was he provided us life because he is the resurrection and the life. That's why unless you get to know, and you begin to realize who Jesus is, many of us will still be in darkness. And I share this humbly to you because I realize that there are many of us in this room, and maybe some of you who are watching, I realize that some of you, the light of Christ has not shined upon you. Some of you think you're doing well. Well, I serve. I've been a Christian ever since I was five years old. But everyone around you, they don't like you. Everyone around you think you're the most self-righteous, pharisaic person, not just in our church, but in the whole Kuntong area. If not all of Hong Kong. But the way you're interpreting is, I'm trying to love Jesus. Sometimes you could try to love Jesus, trying to earn something from him, trying to live a certain way. That's why you're so judgmental. That's why a lot of times people, your spouse can't get along with you. This is the reason why other people, family members, they don't want to invite you. This is why you don't get invited to birthday parties sometimes. Oh, the shoes are crooked. What's wrong with you? Do you are you not stepping in the Lord's way? Some of you, the light has to shine brightly in your face so that because you're blinded by your own self that you have to see very clearly you are in darkness. Some of you, you don't have to shine it in your face. Someone could come alongside you and just shine it just right in front of your path and you realize, man, I've been really dumb. I've been doing some dumb things, making some dumb decisions. I realize I've been living for myself. Sometimes God gently shows you things in your life that you need to ask God for forgiveness and surrender to. Sometimes he needs to do it a little bit, I wouldn't say harshly, but in a stronger way to get your attention because you're very stubborn. That's why bankruptcy, losing something or losing someone, oftentimes becomes the game changer and it changes your perspective. That's why right now, if some of you are in a crossroad you don't know what to do those are the things that help you to turn to god not to yourself because you've been trying to figure this out on your own strength your own wisdom but you still don't get it that's when you realize maybe god knows better i'm challenging us to get to know jesus and who he is 
Not only this pre-existent one, which shows you how powerful he is, how awesome he is, and how sovereign he is, but to understand he is the provider of life. That every time you turn to anything else in this world, it's going to leave you empty. If he is the source of life, he is the provider of life to you and to me, why will we not turn to him? That's why John starts off his letter, talks, talks about the word, so that we can understand that the light has come, and that light is Jesus. How about us this morning? Do you know who Jesus is in his fullness? Or are you just a churchgoer and you know him superficially? I'm going to go one step further. Whenever someone asks you, well, how has God been good to you? If you're sharing the same thing that you shared a month ago, six months ago, and a year ago, then you're not fully understanding the fullness of God in your life. It is like ramen noodles that you let just let it sit there. It just starts getting... Or fried rice that you didn't eat for a while, and what happens? It gets stale. Some of us in this room do not have anything that is fresh. We're not experiencing something new from God. It's not a God problem. It's us. Because we're comfortable and we are satisfied and sedated by the things that we used to know. How we were excited at one time. And that's the same story we share over and over again. How are you experiencing God? If he really is the pre-existent one, that he created all things and he's that sovereign, would he not work in your life so that there could be a testimony so you could testify about the light? I want to encourage us to humble ourselves and let God work in your life. In fact, I would, take, I would just challenge you and say, he is already working in your life. You just got to be able to recognize Here's the second thing as we close out with this next point. We must not only realize who Jesus is, but you will notice in the rest of this section that we're going to read here that we must respond to who Jesus is. You got to be able to respond to him if this is really who he is. Let's read verse 9 through 13. This is what the Word of God says. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, let's pause here, and I want to highlight some things. We see that the true light is referencing to Jesus. Any other people who claim to be the light, they're not the true light. The true light is Jesus, and he has come into the world. But interesting, it says here that the world did not know him, and those he came for who were the Jewish people, they rejected him. This is what the history tells us. That's why in verses 12 through 13, we notice the key words, and I want you to keep this in mind, receive and believe. Come on, everyone say that. Receive and believe. 
The reason why these two words are connected is because it is about repentance and faith. It is about repentance, turning away from, and then now putting our trust in something. So when you receive, you also have to believe. In the same way, when you receive someone, then we welcome them because of who they are. And then for us to believe in what and who they are, that's where trust comes in. You know, if I could just address something that I'm seeing in this younger generation. Those of you who are under 30, you know I love you. Well, I love everyone above too, but anyway. (laughs) That sounded really weird. I just kind of heard myself and I'm like, you're 31, I hate you, you know. If you're under 30, I have a special place in my heart for you because I believe during the college years and even that single adult life, it can really change the trajectory of your life, where you're going to be headed. Not only heaven or hell, but in terms of what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life, this is such an important time of your life. That's why our church will never stop reaching out to young people. This is something that we're going to keep on doing for the rest of our lives until the Lord comes back and as he gives us the grace to do it. And I'm, I'm trying to speak to you with a lot of love. This is a little bit more pastoral. I'm going to try to help you to understand some things that I'm seeing as a concern. And I'm realizing that in this generation, those of us who are young, you put such a high value on your feelings. Now, I'm not saying feelings are bad because we all have feelings. But if your Christian life is dictated by feelings, I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to, you're not going to make it. You just won't. Why? Because people will always hurt you. There will be things that you're going to be frustrated by. There are things that you want, but you're not going to get. There are things that you want to understand, but you're not going to understand. So if your whole life is about your feelings, I'm telling you right now, your, your, your journey with Christ will end pretty early. Apart from the faithfulness of God, apart from the mercy of God, apart from the grace of God, who will continue to hold on to you all the way to the end, many of us will decide, this is not for me. We can go to the other extreme. If your Christian life is all about the cognitive and it's all about you understanding things, but there's no passion, there's no heart to this, then that also can lead us into a different direction. We have seen this all throughout history. Those people who are really astute and they want to understand the word, good intention, but after a while they begin to question, did the story of Jonah and the way, did that really happen? And they begin to question and after a while those doubts, which are healthy doubts, they cannot be answered. So instead of humbling themselves and say, God, I don't understand everything, but I'm going to trust in you because of what you said in your word, what happens is that then they begin to become agnostic. Or turn to other things, other religion. So these are the two extremes. And the reason why I want to address this is that if you base on any, your Christian life on any of these two extremes, you are setting yourself up for a big, big fall. And it is going to hinder your understanding of the whole counsel of God. And I'm going to share something that I hope you can receive this well. 
I mean, it's sad that I have to say these kinds of things because I realize that everyone gets triggered. I say something and they're like, what? Even though I'm reading it from Scripture, they get triggered. So let me try to navigate this and try to say it as pastorally as possible so that you understand my heart. Those of you who are undergrads, many of your walk with God, your Christianity is experienced through community. It's one of the most powerful things. You, you come as a freshman, you don't know anybody, you come to a new place, and there's some people in purple shirts that run, reach out to you, and they're like, wow, they seem like nice people, and then you get into community, and you experience something that you've never experienced before. Like, you realize that there are people who actually care. There are people who want to get to know me, and then as you continue to do community, you re- begin to understand the love of God. That's what motivates some of these people to reach out to you. So your experience of God, your experience and understanding of this Christian life is experienced through community that you meet on Tuesday or Wednesday, and then you also meet for LCG maybe on Thursday or maybe on Monday, and then you do something on Friday, which is what? Some kind of life group activity, and then you study together on Saturday with some of these guys. Sunday you come to church, and what do you do after church? You go to lunch together, right? We give so much business to Kuntong. Maybe some of you will be an entrepreneur and start a restaurant and then be a blessing to the whole world. But anyway, so here you are. And then you go home in the MTR with your Christian friends. And then you go back and you study. And then you wake up. It's Monday. You go to classes where you meet your Christian friend. And then life is just awesome because you're like, God is so real. He is so, so good. Four years of this. You graduate, and as you're praying, you're like, I want to stay in Hong Kong. I want to reinvest into the church. God has blessed me so much. And you're thinking, please let me be a leader. But, you, you, you know, the opportunity doesn't open. So you're like, okay, well, I'll just go to single adult ministry. It, it seems like they're having fun. So you go to the single adult ministry, and then you're like, oh, Why did they just come to life group? And even life group, they don't have fellowship time. Well, they do, but many of them leave quickly. I used to love those three, four-hour life groups in undergrad. It was so fun. We would just talk and hang out, eat the chips. How are you doing? Life is so good. But as soon as life group is done, they're gone. And then Friday rolls around, you're a long day of work, a long, a whole week of work, and I, I can't wait for Friday, because we're going to do something as a life group, and all of a sudden, nothing. Hey, leader, you doing okay? Are we doing anything? No? Hang out with your coworkers, meet other people? Oh, I don't have too many friends, so I'll just watch another Netflix. This goes on for about a year until you meet your junior, who's now a senior, and they say, how is the single adult minute, how is the city, how is the city life group? Hold on, hold on. It's different. (laughs) It's just different. They don't want to say it's bad. They don't want to hang out. They leave early. They don't care. It's just different. 
And this is what I want to speak to some of us who might be in the single adult stage of life. Your Christianity, when you were an undergrad, you thought you were doing well. But the problem is, you did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You had a group, life group, you had a corporate community group where it fooled you or you thought to yourself, I'm growing because I'm going to all these meetings, I'm doing all these things, but you did not develop your personal relationship with God. So now when you're supposed to be an adult and be self-motivated to read the Bible, to pray, to serve, to go to different parts of the city and to love on people without anyone telling you to do it because your personal relationship with Jesus fuels you because you realize how much he loved you and so therefore you want to be able to love people whether it's your work, whether it's your neighbors, it's your roommate or people, strangers in different parts of the city that are hurting. And what I have seen is that if your Christian life in your undergrad has been all about community and you have not built your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then as you start getting older, what you will begin to see clearly as the light shines upon you is that that kind of Christianity, even though it will help you to understand parts of Christianity, it will not sustain you for the next stage of life. And to those of us who are single adults and you're trying to grow and it's hard with balancing work and all these other expectations, but you're trying to grow in your walk with God, I'm telling you right now, if you do not deepen that walk with God, when you become married and have kids, it will not sustain you. Because it takes a different level of trust. It takes a different level of faith to believe that I'm not in control. I'm sharing this with a big concern because we're noticing this. The leaders are noticing this. I'm noticing this. As I'm working with the city ministry, some of us are so content, or maybe you start realizing you're not doing well, but you're so proud, you don't want to ask for help. Or even starting from ground zero, say, you know what? I need to get to know God from scratch. I want to go back to his word. What does the word of God say? I want, I want to experience him in these solitude moments as I walk, as I go on a hike. I want to see how big he is, how awesome he is. Not because a leader tells me, but I want to know him. I want to desire him more and more in my life. To those of us who are in the undergrad, I'm warning. This is a warning. You're going to be just like some of these people who are in our city ministry right now. So make sure your priority as a college student is to get to know Jesus by developing your personal. Community is great. Life group is great. But if you're not reading the word and you're not spending time with Jesus, you're going to be just like these other statistics when they become single adults. After all, they're going to stop coming to church. Or they'll just come to church only because they feel a little bit guilty. So focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the exciting part of all this. Listen, I know it could seem, oh man, that's so depressing. Listen. John, the apostle John says that he has given us the right to be called the children of God. Come on, can I get an amen to that? In the midst of sometimes 
stumbling and falling. In the midst of sometimes thinking that we're so righteous, but we're not. In the midst of our foolishness, John reminds us that as we receive and we believe that he has given us the right. I want you to think about that. The right. It is almost like ours in Christ. He has given us the right to be called the children of God. Not born out of blood. That means, listen, that means that your relationship sometimes with your brothers and sisters in Christ should be stronger than your relationship with your blood brothers or sisters or even your parents. Now, I am not saying disrespect them, but if you are born not of blood or the flesh, but we are born and part of God's family in a spiritual sense, we should be loving one another. This is one of the biggest arguments for unity in the body of Christ. If there is somebody that you cannot love, I think you need to rethink about this whole thing that Jesus Christ made you a child of God in the same way he made that person a child of God so that you can now, not by blood or by flesh, but it is by the Spirit of God that brings you together into this spiritual family. Let me close with the verse 14 and 18. Listen to what it says here. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God is the one who does the spiritual work in a tangible way. Verse 14 says that the word became flesh and that it dwelled among us. The word dwelt literally means tabernacled, which gives us this imagery of when God tabernacled with the Jewish people in the wilderness. Do you remember those stories where these Jewish people in the wilderness, and as they're going around, as they see the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud by night, when God presence dwelt in a place they will pitch their tents and they will make a tabernacle and they will be in the presence of God now catch this this is so important the Jewish people had to build a tabernacle to know that God was with them at that moment but here John the apostle says what that he made his tabernacle or dwelt among us that is such a powerful thought that the God of the universe now dwells with us. He is with us. And therefore, no matter what we face in our lives, Jesus' presence is with us wherever we go. Can I get a good amen to that? His presence is with us. I'm wondering how many of us not only receive it, but we believe it. That his presence, that it tabernacles amongst us, that he is here right now, even in this room. He is with us even as we go and we meet together for LCG because where two or more are gathered in his name, there he will be also. To be tabernacled with the very presence of God, 
the God of the universe. So even though you're facing things at work, even though you're facing things in the home with your family, even though you're facing things at school, if you know that Jesus' presence is there with you, tabernacling himself right next to you, it will change the way you see things. It will radically change how you live. It says Jesus is full of grace and truth and that we have witnessed and seen the glory of God. Now, the reason why, as I read this, it should compel you is because in the Old Testament, people could not see God and live. Even Moses, he had to cover his face when God's glory and his presence passed him. Think about that. That in the Old Testament, people could not see God and live. But here's John who says, Jesus' glory is actually seen. You're able to see his glory because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of all the things that he has done, miracles that he has performed. You now see the glory of God. That's why we can now share the knowledge of the glory of God and saturate our schools, saturate our workplace, saturate the city or this district. Why? Because we have witnessed it. Can I get a witness? Amen? We have witnessed the greatness of God. We have witnessed the goodness of God. Because of that, what do we see? We see here, when we think about this, it's grace upon grace. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. The fullness of Jesus. We have received grace upon grace. Listen to some of these other translations, New Living Translation. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Can I get an amen to that? Anyone, anyone experience that? One blessing to another? Here we sit after 43 different locations we met for all our meetings in our church. And we're sitting here. This is a blessing upon another blessing. Spend some time thinking about the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and you'll realize it's amazing. It is grace upon grace, one blessing or another on top of other. The message translation says this, we all live off his generous bounty, gift after great, a gift after gift. What a good reminder. We will never outgive God. We cannot. Turn to someone and say, you'll never outgive God. Come on, turn to somebody. But so many of us have such a poverty mindset. Oh, if I give this, or if I give my time here, I won't have time for this. You literally are trying to control your life, and you're missing the point of grace upon grace, gift upon gift upon gift, that God, when you learn how to trust in him, as you receive and then believe, that you will be able to see not only his glory, but you will receive grace upon grace. And that is how we ought to live our Christian life, that we need his grace that much more than we did yesterday. I need you more, Lord, than ever before. God's generosity of his grace, his love, forgiveness, mercy, and all his blessings never runs out. How about us this morning? Have you thought about the grace upon grace, that phrase? All the things that God has given to you. Even when you think he has it, he has. That's why even if some of us are thinking about taking our own lives, that is so self-focused. 
Look how much he has blessed you. Look how much he has shown you. It's just your mind hasn't spent the time thinking and thanking him for what he has done. Do you understand more in every single day the privilege that we have to be children of God? We were under the wrath of God because of our sin, but he sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that that wrath will be upon his son. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt the separation in that moment, the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulder. In his flesh, he cried out. But in his spirit, he knew that this is what he had to go through to save the world, the redemption for every single person. I'm wondering, have you received and believed in the full message of the gospel? Or are you still thinking that it's all about me feeling better? Or why aren't you hearing me or validate myself? No, let the word of God validate you. Let the truth of God validate you so that you will repent and turn to God and say, God, sorry, I made it all about me. It's not about me. It's about you. That's why the one thing, once again, is that no matter the life's occurrence, we can be assured of God's presence. Can I share with you a couple things that you can apply this message? Once again, can I just remind us the reason why we give application because we do not want to become that person in the book of James where we look at the word of God and we don't obey. James says you are like that person who looks in the mirror and walks away and forget what you look like. Spiritual amnesia. By applying what the word of God says, it will transform your life. Don't build up your head. Just puff up your head with knowledge. Did you know that dwelt means tabernacle? You didn't know that, did you? Move your shoes. Anyway, no one wants to be around those people like that. But because the presence of Jesus is with you, you're able to love people. That's how you make a difference. Here are three things. First of all, spend time with Jesus. I pray there will be no more excuses. I'm so busy. I have to study. No, you don't. Not anymore for the three weeks. I'm so excited. My daughter at University of Michigan, she has four weeks off. It's unheard of. When I was there and ministering to some of the students, it was only two and a half or three weeks at the most. She's going to be here a long time. We're going to, we're going to party. You have several weeks. I know you're going to spend time with family, visit your friends, do all that kind of stuff. Your friends are coming here to Hong Kong, and you're going to be like, oh, life is fun. I want to encourage you to spend some time with Jesus. Stop making excuses. Go take a hike. Oh, that sounds bad too. Uh, that's a bad colloquial American phrase. But don't, don't, go on a nice hike with Jesus. Because when you go take a hike, then we just get out of here. That's not what I mean. Go take a very nice stroll up on one of the hills or mountains here in Hong Kong. Let's stop making excuses. You don't have any papers now to write. You don't have any classes, exams. After it's done, you're going to have about three weeks. 
I know you want to catch up on your Netflix that you miss, which is great, praise the Lord. I know you want to pick up on your video games, praise the Lord. I know you're going to travel, praise the Lord. But do not eliminate God from the equation. Amen? Spend some time with Jesus. The second thing is this. Set your mind and your heart on Jesus. As we live throughout this week coming up, think about it more often, will you? Set your mind and your heart on the things of God. I know it's going to be easy to think about yourself, how you feel, and all the stuff. But just for once, grow up. And I'm saying this as almost like your parent. Listen, those of you who are college, grow up. That's, that's one of the signs that I know a person is mature because they don't think about themselves all the time. They think about others. That's a sign of maturity. If you said like, ah, man, then I'm like, okay, they're so young. No, come over here, let me pray for you. In Jesus, Jesus' name. Don't make it about yourself. Set your mind and your hearts on Jesus and see what he did. He set the example. He gave his life for others. Try to do that. And lastly, show others the blessings of Jesus. See, when you've experienced the light, <laughs> they need sunglasses around you. Some, some of you guys didn't get that. When you spend time in the light, you will be so bright that they're going to need sunglasses because the glory of God will shine all over you. And they're going to be like, what makes you so different? Be loving. Serve. Be empathetic. Listen. How can you be a blessing? And see God work in your life. I want to close with this video that I think will kind of summarize some of the things that I've been saying. It's a story about a woman who had, or who has dementia, so she can't remember. She's just kind of looking out into space. Even some of her close family members, she doesn't remember them. Until something happens, she experiences something, and then everything comes back to her. In many ways, we are in darkness. because We're living foolishly. We forget about who Jesus is. But it's just that one moment where God can touch your heart, touch your mind, and you realize, now I understand. I remember that feeling. I remember when that truth hit me. I remember when I made that decision. And I pray that in that moment, your heart will be stirred because it's all about Jesus. And you want to fall in love with him again and again. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.